Love is he love. That's my rule of life. That's what I try to do. I don't do very good sometimes, but I'm still trying. That's my goal. All right? John 5 through 12. Now we're going to look at Jesus as Lord through John's eyes. Okay? I don't think so. No, I drink all mine this year's. I got this. Oh. Jesus is Lord. John 5 through 12. Jesus is the Son of God. For God so loved the world. Amen? Let's look at John 5. This is that story. Jesus goes uh, to the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. And around the pool, all the people in the ancient world were superstitious about these pools. It was just currents from down below. Geysers that were shooting up. How many of you have been to Old Faithful in Montana? You know, our, our family, we get up there, we're sitting on the bench for about an hour, just waiting for this thing. It goes, Psh! okay, let's go. I like, it was worth it, but it's about 150 miles one way, an hour sitting on the dirt, two minutes spewing, and then an hour and a 150 miles back. Okay, that's vacation. That's pretty cool. I guess we still have a fascination with springs. The people were sitting around there. They thought if they could get into this natural hot tub. In Glenwood Springs, I grew up in Grand Junction, Colorado. Not too far from Grand Junction is Glenwood Springs, and it's a mineral bath. It's a natural mineral bath. And, and there are some healing properties to that. But the people thought they would be healed, and so they, this paralytic, this cripple is sitting around the pool, and Jesus comes up to him and says, he's 38 years old, he's been inflicted. 38 years he's been inflicted. And Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? And if you read that one way, you think, is that the harshest thing anybody ever said to someone? Can you imagine going up to a blind person, hey, you want to be able to see? Going up to someone in a wheelchair, hey, you want to walk? I mean, this is a little awkward. Do you want to get well? And the guy goes, yeah, I want to get well, but can't get in the pool. People crowd in front of me. That tells me a little bit of self-pity, though. Just lay down and roll into it, you know. <laughs> Serious. You're sitting beside it, just fall over and keep rolling. All right? If they're in their way, you're going to roll over them. You'll get in there. You know, sometimes when you're really down, you're really hurting. You, you, you're confused. You're disoriented. You don't know how to fix yourself. You don't know how to get back up. And you need help. And Jesus was that help. All right? So he gave the paralytic help. He healed him. And then it starts talking about Jesus in John chapter 5 as the Lord of the Sabbath. And you'll see this through all the Gospels that the Pharisees really had a problem with Jesus breaking God's rules. We have a problem when people break God's rules. But what that's called is sin. And what that means is the person's a sinner. And I think the Bible says we're all sinners. And so are we acting like we never break the rules? We all break the rules. 
It's just, what does God do when we break them? Sometimes he disciplines us. Sometimes he makes us suffer the consequences. Sometimes he rescues us from those consequences. Sometimes he shows mercy, and sometimes he lets things run their course. But eventually he saves. All right? We don't go to hell. We don't suffer all the consequences. We don't get what our sins should deserve, do we? Okay? And so, whenever Jesus uses different approaches to people, the Pharisees are like, no way. You should be following the law. What do you mean David's disciples ate bread in the temple? Only priests were eating bread in the temple. And Jesus is like, hey, David was hungry that day. There's no other bread. He ate it. Get over it. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. My disciples went through the cornfield on the Sabbath. They were hungry. They broke off some corn. They ate it. Get over it. Usually I tell them to have good manners to wash their hands before they eat. They don't always, you know, these are fishermen. Even if you wash off the fish smell, they still stink. So they just eat. Get over it. It's only an outward cleaning anyway. They just couldn't imagine it's okay to break a rule. It's not okay. It's just, do you give them mercy? Do you fight that battle or do you move on to something else? Throughout the Gospel, John five sixteen through 20, Jesus says, I'm the judge. And then again, in John five thirty one through 45, there's this list of testimonies. All right? And we'll, we'll see what those are in a minute. But I love I love this story of and just do 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 a Bible talk on just that part and get people talking about it and then we got to turn it on ourselves do we want to get well or do we always want to have an excuse I'm from a dysfunctional family I got a reason to be dysfunctional all right I got a reason to be dependent on you and for you to help me all the time no. We got the Holy Spirit in us. We can be transformed and changed. Let's let's grow. Let's get strong. Let's get healthy. Let's get whole. All right. Sometimes I do need a a hand up. I do need help. But then the goal of all of us is to get well. All right. Good stuff. The bread of life. Ooh, had to get to this sermon. All right. Because this is the door. The the. Exit sermon, not the door. We'll get to the door sermon in a minute. This is where Jesus says, there's the door. Who wants to leave? We beg people to come to church. We pride people to come to church. We feed people to come to church. Right? And we don't want to run them off. But Jesus sometimes preached the message in such a way where it just sounded too tough. What always runs people off? Authority and commitment. Always runs people off. You know, we've we've taken our evangelists down a lot, several notches in the last ten years because we felt like they had too much authority. I don't know if they had too much authority. They should use that authority in a good way, but the Bible gives leadership authority. All right gives dad's authority, gives mom's authority, all right? But that bothers us. You, you telling me what to do? Are you telling me what to do? Who gives you 
right to tell me what to do. Get out of my face. We struggle with it. See, that's stuff that goes in my head and I hardly ever say publicly. I probably shouldn't even today. All right. But we struggle with authority and we struggle with commitment. You know? Do what's right versus... Be, sometimes we don't think, think it's doing what's wrong. It's just not doing anything. Sin is, when you know the good you're supposed to do and you don't do it, it's sin. And so, Jesus feeds these guys. We'll get into that. Jesus claimed to be essential for life in this chapter. Jesus demanded his followers to consume him. That's commitment. Disciples must be totally committed. And the grumbling was because of a call to commitment. Here's the outline. Picnic, boat ride, church, and an altar call. All right? Sounds like a park service to me. All right? He feeds 5,000. He has compassion on them. He, he sees that they're hungry. He says, okay, who brought a lunch? The only person that brings a lunch is a kid. You know? Five loaves and two fishes. Jesus said, well, this isn't much to work with. He's going to be very small helping today. All right? And he says, give it to me. He blesses it, tells the disciples to pass it out. And the great thing about the story is they all ate till they were, the Bible says, satisfied. Satisfied. And there were leftovers. That's the generous God you and I serve. He wants to just lay it on us until there's leftovers. He does want to satisfy you. He isn't a stingy God. Okay, do you want another piece of bread? No, he spoils us. And then it says there's, what, five, twelve, I don't remember exactly, left twelve, of course there's twelve, there's always twelve apostles. Every apostle had to carry his basket away with food. All right? No, it's a spiritual number. John wants us to see that God just always has an abundance. Isn't that good stuff? And so he feeds them, but the sign points to something greater. The sign feeding the 5,000 is supposed to point them to God. It's supposed to open up their heart to the truth. So then Jesus takes the boat ride across. Peter walks on water. Amen. And then he preaches this sermon on the bread of life. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Guys, you don't live by physical things alone. You've got to feed your spirit. You've got to feed that inner being. Or if it dies, you're dead. You've got to feed with God's bread. You've got to eat truth. You've got to love truth. All right? And so, Jesus is preaching it, and they're like, I don't understand what you're saying. They understood. Isn't it always, you know, playing dumb? I, I don't know what you mean, bro. Did I do that? Are you saying today, in the last hour? <laughs> no. Have you done it? Have you ever tried to? I don't reason with kids. I know when they're guilty, and I just say you're guilty. If you ask them, you're going to go round and round and round. Right? And so, Jesus says 
to him, he doesn't back off when they say, you know, this is a hard teaching. He comes on even stronger. You got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. First, he just says you got to eat eat the bread, and they didn't like that. He said, "Aren't you Joseph's son, Mary's son? Who are you telling us? Aren't you from Nazareth? Aren't you a carpenter?" And Jesus says, "Okay, we're getting down to it. Eat my bread, eat my body, and drink my blood." And then what they say. Towards the end. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From the loaves and fishes we see, we cannot fill ourselves. Oh, you, you know. You, sometimes evangelism is just waiting for people to get tired of trying to fill themselves. And in California, there's just so much pleasure that it takes people a while. But eventually, they're going to not be satisfied with what they're doing themselves. We can't fill ourselves. And we give... What you can to God, that's giving the lunch, and then God will multiply it. You give what you can, and then God multiplies it, and then satisfaction is from God. The crowd, all right, I guess I should have put those up there for you. The crowd says, when did you get here after Jesus crossed the, the, the sea to the other side? When did you get here? And what does he come back and say to them? You just want a free lunch. I fed you one day, now you want, to, want, want me to eat, feed you again. God's not into give, 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 give. In fact, worship is giving back to God. Consumerism in America teaches us, go to church to be given to. But worship is really going and giving back to God, praising God, the self-giving God that has given us Jesus, we go and thank Him for it. It's an act of gratitude is what worship is. But we're not, un- we're not grateful people. We want more, more, more. We're discontent people. You know? God, you're not good enough. You haven't blessed me enough. I don't have enough. I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more. And eventually, God says, if you're not content with what you got, I'm taking away what you do already have. You got to get grateful. And that's hard. I know it is. Especially when people around you seem to get more and more, and they're not grateful at all. Right? And that's what David struggled with, Psalm 73. I looked around, and the wicked were blessed, and I seemed cursed, and it just didn't seem fair, and it wasn't fair, and I'm not hiking this. And, I mean, he just had his pity party. And most pity parties, you invite a lot of people, and nobody comes but you. <laughs> Except God. And he'll show up, and he'll say, stop. Stop. Right? And so then, the, then uh, they said, "Well, what must we do to do the works of God?" Jesus said, "I'm not giving you a free lunch, and you got to believe." All right. And then they said, "Well, what miraculous sign are you going to give to us?" Moses gave us manna in the desert, daily lunches, and meat. So what are you going to give us to get us to believe you? They're so fixed on free. How can, why don't we get fixed on work? Adam and Eve were created in the garden for work, to be caretakers of the garden. We are so resistant to work, and that's a fundamental, deep-rooted problem in us. 
And and God's never going to change it, guys. We are created for work. And if you're created for free, <laughs> I'm sorry. All right? Because God's going to teach, teach us hard lessons if we won't. All right? And so, what miraculous sign will you give us? I'll resurrect and bring you with me. Oh, heaven stuff. We want it now. Right? Not, heaven isn't just good enough. You know, it's going to be good enough when we get there. When we're sitting there in judgment, and we're hearing all the stories, and we're realizing eternity is eternity, we're going to think, wow, life was short. It was just a mist. Boy, I'm glad I chose the right way. You ever look back in your life and said, I'm glad I didn't do that? Oh, my goodness. I was bad. And you guys love how bad I was. <laughs> Makes me relatable, huh? And you don't even know the part of it. But I wasn't worse. I, I did make some good decisions. I told you I have a brother that ended up in prison. I didn't end up in prison. I learned from his mistakes. All right? Make some good choices. Are you with me there? How can we eat your flesh? And Jesus says, the one who feeds on me will live. And what was the response to this, this sermon? Dessert. Some people only want dessert. If you're going to feed them meat, you're going to make them work hard mentally, you're going to challenge them, you're going to call them to commitment. Oh, get it up there, Greg. They're, they, they're going to desert. They're going to be a deserter because they didn't get dessert. All right? And that was the crowd. That's a little play on words. I Sometimes I crack myself up. Right? Some people were defectors. Judas was a defector. Jesus says that in, a cha- in this chapter, verses 70 and 71, that when he didn't get what he wanted from Jesus, he, was, he decided he was going to get something. He's going to get his pound of flesh. All right? And then the disciples, what did Peter say in John chapter 6? Jesus says, do you want to go too? There's the door. you want to go too? Peter says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And that may sound like a hard teaching, but I know for those of us who have been around 30 years, there's been a few times in our spiritual lives we said, maybe I will go to the door. Maybe I'll leave. But then you think about it for a while. Where are you going to go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. There's nowhere to go. A dog returning to his vomit? No, I'm going to keep heading towards a good fresh bowl myself. All right? Disciples, eat truth. That's, that's my saying. Make up a t-shirt, will you? Let's start passing out t-shirts. Hope t-shirts, eat truth t-shirts. All right? Sisters won't wear it, but some of the brothers will. Next time I'm here, they're going to have a shirt on. Eat truth in your face, Satan. I'm eating truth. What's that shirt mean? It means I eat truth. Don't you eat truth? I can tell you're anemic spiritually. You don't eat truth. <laughs> All right. Persecution. John chapter 7. This is a good little outline. Liar, Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. 
first few verses, they accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. And any time you're in an argument and it polarizes and people get personal and start bringing your mom into it, then they, they lost the argument. Right? And that's what these people couldn't argue Scripture with Jesus, and so they got personal and they started name-calling. All right? And so they... So, uh, what do persecutors do? They seek to honor themselves. They malign others' character and motives. They lie and attack genuine spirituality. And they judge, according to verse 24, by appearances. And Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Why was Jesus born in a barn? Why was he raised by a carpenter? Why did he have such a humble life? So that it would contradict the criticisms of people. And he was just in it to use people. He wasn't in it. He was a giver, not a taker. All right? But persecutors, they'll say anything. And we all get persecuted. Everyone who got, tries to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, according to First Timothy. Amen? All right? That's that chapter. Next chapter. Chapter, chapter 8. You hanging with me? It's a long book. I'm just feeding it to you. You're going to have to go back over it, all right? But you're going to get the big picture. You're going to get the clothesline here. Jesus is the light of the world, and light exposes hypocrisy. Jesus forgiving the woman caught in adultery is one of the greatest narratives, the greatest stories in the Bible. If you haven't been that woman that felt the death sentence for their sin. That you're going to be scarred for the rest of your life. That you have a scarlet letter. That you're an untouchable. If you haven't felt that and read this story and just praised God, I thought I'd be cursed with a bad temper my whole life. My dad had a bad temper. Come to find out my grandpa had an uncontrollable temper. My dad would lose his every once in a while. Usually it was the brother right ahead of me, the third in line, that he'd, he'd lose his temper and beat. And then that brother would turn around and beat me. So I grew up hating him and hating my dad. I hated my dad for years. You live in fear for a while, and then that fear turns to hate. And I learned to hate my brother who beat me. And then you become a Christian. You want to get rid of that. You want to forgive. And the Bible says forgive. Boy, that's easy, isn't it? That's <laughs> yeah, just so easy. It took me years. If grace was deserved, it wouldn't be grace. We wait. To forgive, we wait to give grace when we think they deserve it. They've repented enough. They've done enough restitution. They've changed enough. No. That in grace. And so, I love this story because I need grace and I need to give grace. And if some of you feel like you haven't got much grace, start giving some. Start giving some. For a while there, I was, I was sort of angry. Where's my grace? And God came back to me and says, Greg, give some. Give some. So I've been trying to give some. This woman 
standing in front of an angry mob, half-naked, condemned to die, expecting in the next few minutes to be stoned. Can you imagine the fright, the shock, the trembling, the utter terror, not fear, utter terror. This is death row. And even the bitterness, where's the man? He should be here. He's one of them. Could have been a Pharisee. Feeling great bitterness and unfairness. And Jesus comes to the rescue and pardons. Have you ever just given grace to the total undeserving? I hate it when I hear, you know, I don't give people who beg because they're just going to go out and buy alcohol. You probably don't give much to anybody, do you? I just give. Just give. I picked up a drunk the other day. This brother told me he walked up and down this street and in in the winter in Nebraska, somebody walking about a mile to work. That's taking your life into your own hands. All right? You can get hypothermia or or uh uh frostbite in a moment. I went out, shoveled snow one day, came back in and Kathy said my nose was white. You know, edge of frostbite. Aren't you glad you live in Southern California? Are you grateful for that? If nothing else, be grateful for that. When the traffic stinks, be grateful. You don't have to worry about frostbite. All right? So I pulled over. I picked up this person. And I thought he'd be a kid. I thought it might even be the brother. This This drunk old woman with no teeth got in my car. And the moment she got in, It smelled like alcohol with with stench so bad in a moment. I'm like, do you need a ride? My <laughs> eyes start watering. Yeah, I'm going up to this gas station. I said, okay, let's go. And I go flying over there. I drop her off. And she gets out of the car, and she's a little mentally ill, and she stares at me, and I'm like, is she going to thank me or what, you know? And she reaches in and she grabs my soda pop and runs off. Well, she needed a drink. <laughs> Poor thing. You know, I'd have given it to her, you know. Just give grace. And I told my wife about that. And she said, you know, Greg, you got to watch picking up hitchhikers. Me? I'm a big guy. you got to be pretty big. All right? And if I go, I go. All right? You got to risk sometimes to love. You got to risk. I love this story. Jesus said, the one without sin be the first to throw stuff. What did he write on the ground? You want a scholar to know, to tell you, right? He wrote their names, I think. And he wrote their sins. That's opinion. It's not recorded anywhere. But I think he just looked around the group and wrote down... Maybe he didn't even have to write their names. He just wrote sins. They were reading whatever he was writing, I tell you that. And then they started walking away. So it was something convicting. Amen. Light from heaven. 
That's that's the next part of this chapter. Jesus claims, I'm the light of the world. Jesus, the, the key verse in there is Jesus always does what pleases the Father. That's, 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 it. could we do that? Could we try to always try to please the Father? And then the last part of it is that whole thing about he's challenging the Pharisees. He's, 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 he's giving grace to this woman. He's preaching about pleasing God, being the light of the world. And the Pharisees come up to him and said, you know, we've never been enslaved to anybody. Oh, yeah? I just saw a Roman soldier down the street. I think your land is occupied right now. You've been slaves to the Romans for about 50 years. Before that, you're this little bitty country in the middle of all the world powers. The Egyptians have enslaved you. The Babylonians have enslaved you. The Assyrians have enslaved you. You know, everybody has enslaved you. You're a trade route. Nobody respects you. They trample you. They abuse you. God chose this little bitty nothing country in the crossroads of the world to display his love and grace. And they're so arrogant. We've never been slaves to anybody. That's like saying, I've never sinned. You know, don't you love asking people specific sins? Anybody ever done this? Anybody ever done that? And nobody raises their hands. (laughs) Liars. (laughs) Willie Flores preached a sermon once when I was in college. He must have said, liar. 30 times in that sermon. I don't know what else the sermon was about. But I know from that day forward, I was a liar. You know, and my mama hated liars. I'm, she did. My mom said that. I hate liars. Mom, you're a sweet little lady. You hate liars? Guess you hate me. No. Jesus always pleaded the Father. And and then Jesus says to him, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. And a a slave has no part in the family. And they argued with him. And they said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. And Jesus says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. But if you'll accept the truth, the truth will set you free. And disciples hold to the truth. And they just argued with him. Don't argue with God. That's a, that's the lesson from that chapter. Don't argue with God, especially when He calls you a sinner. Don't argue with Him. He'll give you grace if you don't argue. And if you argue, He's going to squash you. Right? Alright. Woman kind of adultery. We talked about that story. Isn't that a neat slide there with that heart? That It's red even. It just doesn't come through too good. Alright. And then uh, Hosea. I'm going to finish. Uh, i got a little ways to go, but i got to tell this story. Picture with me going to an old country church. little white, steeple, little white wood church. They're all over the Midwest. Picture yourself sitting there and seeing this just handsome, incredible man. So handsome, you got to call him beautiful. Standing up there. Waiting on his bride. And there's just a single center aisle, and all of a sudden the bride walks in, and the music's playing, and you're sitting in your seat, and you look at that bride, and she starts coming down the aisle, and she's limping. 
and, and, and it makes you a little uncomfortable. You think, that poor thing. Must have had an accident. She's limping. And, and she gets a little closer, and you see through her veil, and you see her face is just tired and sad. Just, just sad. You look at her hands, and her hands have been touching things shouldn't have touched, and they're scarred. You look at her legs, and they're scarred. And you're just, you have this terrible thought. You feel so bad. You're at the person's wedding. You, you, should, you should be complimentary. You should be supportive. But the thought goes through your mind. It's, this, this groom could have done so much better. And you feel bad that you have that thought. You can't help but have that thought looking at this this bride walk down the aisle. And you look back at the groom and think, wow. And you look at her and you're like... And then she sees his eyes. And she he's staring at her. And all of a sudden she straightens up and she brightens up and she starts to glow. He has that effect on her. And and he doesn't see this scarred and sinful and shameful and discouraged and down person. She sees this pure bride, glowing bride. Because he's looking at her through cross eyes. And then you realize you're that bride. You're not the judge in the seat feeling all superior. You're that bride walking down before a groom Jesus. And when he sees you, you light up. You're like the woman caught in adultery. And you feel like, hey, there's hope. I can be born again. I can be new. And you're changed. And by the time you get up next to the altar, you're different. You're beautiful. You're radiant. You're the bride of Christ. See, that's what we are as the church. That's what the Word of God should do for us. And it's because the, the Christ looks at us through cross, blood-stained eyes. Amen? And so this woman kind of adultery reminds me of this verse in Hosea. God promises. He says, meet me in the desert. Why? That doesn't sound like a very romantic place. Tells his lover to come out to the the desert. Well, that's where they first met in the desert. That's where the law was given. So that's their first meeting place. And he says, I will betroth you. I will love you. I will commit to you. I will marry you. Forever. You've got to find someone that's going to make that kind of commitment to you. And that's what God has made to you. I'm going to love you forever. And I will betroth you in righteousness. I will always be fair to you. I will be fair to you. I will betroth you in, in meaning even righteousness. I will always love you and nobody else. I won't be impure. I won't be a, a porno addict, a sex addict. Let me tell you something about addiction. Any addiction, drug, alcohol, cigarettes, sex, 
It's an appetite. Feed it, it grows. Starve it, it dies. Stop feeding the addiction. That's what, you, that's what Tiger Woods is hearing. And if he doesn't stop it, his wife should boot him and take all the money. And it might save his soul. You think I'm being funny. I was really trying to be serious. Because <laughs> I want him to be saved. He seems like a cool guy. Seems like a guy that could teach me how to golf in heaven. Right? And that's going to take a lot of work. I shouldn't pick on Tiger. He's no different than all of us. All right? I will betroth you in righteousness. I'm going to stay pure to you. I will betroth you in justice. I'll be fair to you. I will betroth you in love. That means that really means hesed, steadfast love or growing love. I will change in my love for you as you change. If you get old and ugly, I'm going to still love you. You get fat and ugly, I'm going to still love you. You get sick and I got to take care of you. I'm going to still love you. That's what that love is, a steadfast love. God's going to love you that way. And that better be the way you love your mate. Do you hear me now? Craig, you're not teaching, you're preaching. I can do both. I'm a teacher, I'm an elder, I'm a doctor. I can do what I want. And then I leave town, blow in, blow up, and blow out. And I will betroth you in compassion and grace. I'm going to have grace towards you. And he says, and I will betroth you in faithfulness. I will never leave you or forsake you. And then you will acknowledge the Lord. I'm going to help you get to heaven. That's what a mate should do. Amen? That's what my mate does for me. Without Kathy, I wouldn't make it to heaven. Without my girls, I wouldn't make it to heaven. Oh, she's a good woman. Amen? Most people think she's a saint for having to live with me. Amen? I think that's probably saint status. I, I, I can see some state saints right here on the front row, too. Some sinners and saints. Mention no names. Faithfulness of the groom. It's commitment forever for righteousness, for justice, for steadfast love, for compassion and faithfulness. Simple description. Gordon Ferguson shares this. You probably heard it before. John 8, 31 and 32, what's a true disciple? All right. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, and the truth will set you free. Uh, and you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. John 13, 34, 35, love one another as I have loved you, and you must love one another for this. By this omen, we'll know that you're my disciples if you love one another. John 15:8, which we're going to get to. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Amen. John chapter 9. you got to stay with me. This is a good chapter. It's tough. It's lunch. We've got to push through. All right? The, parents came, the, the people, the Pharisees, came up to Jesus and said, Here's a man born blind. Who sinned? Him or his parents? We always want to blame we always want to find guilt. We always want to accuse. It's a sinful nature. And Jesus said, neither he nor his parents. This happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. That isn't saying God makes bad things happen to people on purpose. Choices happen. God set a world in motion. It's a fallen world. Satan makes bad things happen, according to Job. I blame Satan for the pain and the suffering. 
And yes, God allowed it because he's, he, he hasn't intervened in this world yet for judgment. So until he does, he won't judge things. He's going to harvest the good and the bad someday. But his power can be displayed in those things. You know, he can work all things together for good for those that love him. And so that's a great story. And then in, in John nine thirteen through 34, there's this argument between Jesus and the, the, the Pharisees. And they, the Pharisees are going around and they're saying, you know, who healed you? Who healed you? And the guy says, I don't know who healed me. And then he runs into Jesus and he says, okay, you stay right here. I, I found out who healed me. You know, and so the, the, he wants to tell the Pharisees who healed him, and Jesus keeps watering off because he, he knows the Pharisees going to kill him. All right, so they the Pharisees confront his parents. Who healed this guy? Well, you know, we're not going to get into that because you'll kill us if we tell the truth. So just go ask him. He's of age. So they go back to the guy and said, "Who healed you?" Jesus. All right, and they're arguing with him, and they, he gets bold. Do you want to follow him too? I like that part of the story. And Jesus says at the end there, uh, John 9, verse 39, For judgment I have come into the world. See that the blind will see, and those who see will be blind. Guys, do you see with the eyes of faith? Do you see through your hearts? Do you see truth? See, truth isn't a mental thing. You thought you came to a mental thing this, this afternoon, but really you came to a heart thing. Because you see truth through the heart, and through the eyes of faith. Amen? John 10, I tell you the truth. Who does not enter? This is about the shepherd. You know the story. I have it listed there. Let's describe the shepherd, all right? Here's the shepherd. He protects. He produces a home. He holds and he guards. He has passion for the sheep. He knows them, and they know his voice, and he cares for them, and he provides a relationship. And... He provides pasture, abundant life. He feeds and he lays down his life. What is this abundant life? Verse 10, the thief, the stranger, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy strangers. You're either a stranger or you're a shepherd. Choose what you're going to be. You are. You can be a stranger to your wife, a stranger to your husband, a stranger to your kids, a stranger to your co-workers. You're going to be one or the other. You're either going to turn out to be a shepherd in life or you're going to be a stranger. And strangers just still kill and destroy. They use people. But shepherds speak and people follow. They give to others and they protect others. All right? That's what a shepherd does. All right. John 11. We're there. Grief, death, and dying. All right? Jesus listened and waited. Why didn't he go right away and heal Lazarus? Because he wants to display the work of God so that people would believe. He waited and he listened. He loved and he wept. There's a time for all things. According to Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep with other people. Don't talk so much. <laughs> I talk too much. I've learned in visiting sick people, they want to talk and they want you to listen and just be present. And I even call my daughters. They don't want me to tell them answers. They want me to listen. I don't know how many times my daughter said, Dad, I didn't call you for advice. I just want to let you know what's going on. And I missed her fix it. She says it nicely. The other one says, Dad! Hey. 
She's tired of me not listening. It's okay. I let my kids help me. All right? Jesus prayed and he healed Lazarus who was raised from the dead. And then they, the, because he healed Lazarus, that was the key moment in this drama. Because he healed, healed Lazarus, the Pharisees decided to kill him. If he has that kind of power, we're going to lose our power. See, that's why you should follow Jesus, because he does have the power all right, to raise you from the dead. And over and over through this gospel, it's, I'm from above and you're from below. I'm trying to speak your language, but we don't always connect because I speak a different language. And Jesus came from heaven. He gave us his teaching. He sacrificed himself for us. And then he went back to heaven. Any other religious teacher in the world ever done that? None of them. They've all sat under a tree, got enlightened, and can tell you how to get to heaven. They haven't even gone themselves. How do you know they're there? I don't think they're there. All right? But Jesus says, I've been there, I created the world, I came down here, I told you about it, I've done a lot of signs, I pointed to God, and then the big sign is I died for you, and then I was buried, and to prove to you I'm going to give you what I can do, I'm resurrected on the third day. I'm getting into Sunday's lesson now, all right? But that's why I'm a Christian. The empty tomb. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. But Jesus raises from the dead. All right? He's the resurrection in life. That's what that's about. All right? And what was the response in John 11? Informed informed believers, informant troublemakers. There's some rats. Do you know what Jesus did, Pharisees? He raised Lazarus. So they came to kill Jesus. To kill Jesus. It's just an ugly picture. All right? And so, Coronation of the King, chapter 12, we're wrapping up here. Gift fit for the king, Mary's anointing. That ticked Judas off because he wanted that money. He wanted that perfume. He was going to steal it. And she just poured it out on Jesus' uh, feet. Teeth. (laughs) Poured it out on Jesus' feet. Guys, see, that shows the gracious generosity of God. You ever been that generous? You ever just spoiled somebody? You ever just spoiled your kids? People think I spoil my kids. I try to. Because I want to be like God in some ways. I'm also tough on them. I have incredibly high expectations. I put a lot of pressure on them. They probably got to get therapy one of these days because of dad. And they'll go to a Christian counselor, so it'll be all right. They'll keep my secrets. All right? Full circle. I'm a therapist for some, and people can be a therapist for mine. All right? No, sometimes you spoil. Alright? Full of grace and truth. That's what it's about. A gift fit for a king, a parade fit for a king, inauguration, how I can say it, inauguration of the king. That was his glory sermon in John chapter 12. He says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. John 12 verse 32. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it will produce many seeds. You want to be really fruitful, die to yourself. Take up your cross. Be like Jesus, your Lord, and you'll you'll have a harvest. Amen? Amen. Reception for the king, the response of the Jews, it was bad. The I am statements, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection, I'm the way, the truth, and life. All those things mean something, and we went through that. Jesus is Lord. Will you put your faith in Jesus is Lord. I do. 
What changes will you need to make if Jesus is Lord of your life? And as Jesus, Jesus' Jesus's life and teaching convict and inspire you. That's what it does for me. We'll take a 10-minute break, and then we'll 30 minutes we'll wrap up, okay? So just a 10-minute break. Thank you.